Let's have prayer, and then we'll get right into the lesson. Lord, we love you this day. Thank you for loving us way before we even began to love you. And then, in spite of our on and off again kinds of temperaments, you still keep on loving us. What a Lord. How great you are. You have done marvelous and wonderful things. Now help us as we open the word that we may receive from you all that you have for us. For it's in the glorious and wonderful name of our Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. So we begin with uh, chapter 2 and I purpose to do all except the last verse of chapter 2 today. And uh, it starts out in the, this uh, beginning point uh, in chapter 2, verse 1. And now, this admonition is for you, O priest. If you do not listen and you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I'll send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Now, that's amazing. Here this text begins with this series in which we are uh, going to uh, 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 say that it focuses on the minister's teaching roles. In the Old Testament, of course, that belonged to the Levites. And uh, it was not only their personal life, but especially their treatment of their spouses. God is very interested in how we treat each other, especially in the marriage relationship. America has uh, continued to go downhill because the marriage relationship has been shot to ribbons. And, and therefore, who suffers? The kids. And they then uh, come back and say, I didn't have the model of a dad I wanted. I didn't have the model of a mom I wanted. But there at least is one country in the world that has understood this is at the heart of the problems, and that is the country of Hungary. They have therefore set a goal, anyone who gets married and uh, stays married and has three children, they're coming in for a big check. I've forgotten what it is now, but... It's in uh, something like uh, uh, $70,000, $80,000. Uh, and if they have four children, they do not have to pay taxes the rest of their life. <laughs> That's quite a country. <laughs> and uh, Nancy, it seems to me we qualify. Uh, we had four, you had four, so we're all set. Uh, but uh, if any of you are a little behind, uh, get busy. So, uh, great. <laughs> Sorry, that was a side note. Uh, the aim and focus of our uh, emotions and our actions toward God bring glory to God the Father and comes from seeking to honor him as Lord and how many things? Every aspect. Every aspect of our lives. And that's going to come out as we see the key word I'm using here today is affections. And I'm going to uh, talk about four affections here. Uh, a call to love God's glory. That's in verses 1 through 3. And then a call to love God's word. That's in verses 4 through 9. And a call to love God's people. Verses 10 to 12. 
And wouldn't you believe it? Verses 13 to 16, a call to love God's gift of a spouse, uh, a marriage partner. So uh, we always look for uh, where's the focal point? Where's the pivot point? Where does this whole text uh, come together? Actually, you could use two. Verse 7 is what I have put here. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. He is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Uh, but you could just as well put the last part of verse 16. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. And there he's talking about breaking faith with that uh, person you made a covenant with when you had the church wedding and you asked for the church wedding because you didn't want just a civil thing. Could have gone to justice of the peace, but no. We wanted the blessing of God. So we go to the church. Now, the church is not required to do that. Uh, uh, you still can get married by going to the justice of peace. But uh, if you want the blessing of God, yes. But that then means it's a covenant. And now you're into theological depth because you make a covenant not only between the man and the wife, you promise and go through those words, you know them, they're all too familiar. Uh, but in Proverbs 2, uh, it's going to also make the same point, and it's going to come out later on, that, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Proverbs 2.17, I think it is, that it's a covenant with God, too. So there's a three-way uh, situation here. Uh, it's between husband, wife, and God. You can see on a sort of a, a social contract basis that sometimes that breaks down, either between the husband being the cause or the wife being the cause. But, and therefore we say you can break it. Uh, or at least the church didn't used to say that. Now she does say that. And now there are more breakups uh, in the church than there are in society. Secular society does not have as many divorce rates as in most churches. Now part of that's good. At least they're in church looking for help. And they know they need help. That's good from that standpoint. But it's bad from the other standpoint. How do we get God out of a marriage contract? It's a covenant made with God and then between the couple in front of the church who witness, and they therefore become the legal witnesses to the fact that a covenant was formed between the man and the woman and God. But I'm getting ahead of my story here. And so um, let's look at these first three verses here, which really talk about uh, this, uh, which is a call to love God, not just occasionally, not just hit and miss, but totally. This is a total call for a love for God. So again, I'm going to use the interrogative what. What are the affections we need to have to respond adequately to the Lord's ringing declaration of his persistent love for us? What kind of affections do we need if we're going to respond adequately? And the first one is a call for the glory of God. This is an amazing uh, call because 
uh, it's put in a number of the very finest uh, kinds of uh, litanies that we teach uh, children in catechism. That's another thing we have lost, in which we used to require children up to sixth grade to go through catechism. And then on one Sunday, they were to report to the congregation. Some of you remember those uh, days from uh, times uh, back. Uh, but at any rate, uh, in the catechism, there is the question and answer. What is the chief end or purpose of a human being? And the answer, of course, is the chief purpose or chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Both to glorify God and enjoyment. It's not to be deadpanning or sort of a, a chore which drives us crazy, but no, it is a joy that is to come uh, to our hearts. So uh, the importance here of that whole matter uh, comes up, and he puts it squarely in the category of the teaching ministry of Israel, the priest. And I think our Lord today would put it squarely in the laps of 300 and 25,000 uh, churches that have ministries in these United States. And what was his word? He begins with that little uh, if. God's announced threats have an if to them. That is, there's an unless, unless. But if you don't listen, but if you do listen, the opposite, you don't need to worry about this. But if you don't listen, you ministers, you teachers, you parents, you priests, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, and lo and behold, we've only gone 16 verses in this book, and already six times the name of God has come up. By the name of God now, it means not only is vocable, Elohim, Yahweh, Lord, El Shaddai, etc., but it takes in everything. Uh, his character, his reputation, his doctrine. Oh, yes, you, we can actually take the doctrine of the Lord amiss and therefore wound his name and his reputation by so doing that. And the same thing, too, with regard to using that name. It also must function in a real way. And I described to you last week that in our prayers, we've got to be careful using God's name so that it functions grammatically in the sentence, rather than just being a pause while we're thinking of the next extemporaneous phrase to give in the, the prayer. So, uh, though it doesn't say unless what, nevertheless, he does say you've got to hear what I say from heaven. Please listen. And you've got to act out of a pure heart. Uh, uh, please give me your full attention and the totality of who you are. And uh, so uh, this is the uh, call of God here. And he goes on to say that uh, I will send a curse upon you and will curse your blessings. Uh, it is possible to see in some households uh, a reversal and a running things backwards, uh, uh, a lack of the blessing of God. Indeed, a curse. Why is that? Because 
We played fast and loose as if we knew how the world was built, but we actually know it was built by God, and we know we've got to give a response to him. And uh, evil or wrong or perpetual response in which we use his name uh, slightingly or just as a casual thing or as an oath or even deliberately say, I'm through with that part of his uh, teaching. He says, yes, I have already cursed you, and you priests know that. And if you look at the ministry today, what used to be so highly regarded, uh, you think back in the New England days when a son was called of God to go in ministry, it was the delight of the whole community. Now it is, can't you get a job? Uh, why are you going into the ministry? Uh, 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 I, I would spend my time in something else. And it is because who has led the, the uh, cultural revolution in our country? The whole thing on marriages and uh, on human sexuality was set upside down by the church. It was ministry and denominations that have led the way on that. And therefore, those denominations and ministries, excuse me, but I've got to tell it plainly, are cursed. They're just deliberately cursed until they come back and repent uh, before God. Uh, Joseph Fletcher, for example, in 1960, wrote a book on situational ethics. He said, look, if you've got a young uh, couple and they love each other, then what was the advice? Do it. And all over our landscape, we had people just said, do it. We had T-shirts that said, do it. And what were they advocating? A despite on the whole beauty of human sexuality. Here God made something very, very special, and something that was to be delighted in, and now they're taking it and dragging it through the mud. And that's why we are where we are today. And it's gotten so hard that even when I say these words, I stand liable before today's culture to be thrown into uh, uh, the jail uh, for uh, saying that. So, uh, what then is the public's estimate of the pastorate? They used to call him the parson, P-A-R-S-O-N. He was the person in the community, the best educated, the most faithful, the most godly, the most consistent, uh, the most helpful, but not today. Not today. Now it is... We've got to belong to the boys. And we've got to seem to be as much as part of where the culture is. And uh, don't make that great difference there. Well, this text says, look at how important it is to take it to heart. How do we show that we are listening by taking God's word seriously and living by it, uh, by responding to that word personally, by letting that word hurt us and actually say, I didn't like it, but if God said it, I must do it. Uh, and therein lies the difference. Uh, how do we take it to heart? by seeking him and his kingdom. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. So our chief goal, 
our chief purpose as human beings is not to make a living. It is not score high on the SATs or anything like that. No, no. It is to glorify God, bring him heaps of praise, and then to enjoy him forever. That's the starting grounds. That's where we used to teach. Heidelberg Catechism, that was number one, right up at the start. So the name of God appears in chapter 1, verse 6, appears in ch chapter 1, verse 11, three times, and it appears here in uh, uh, appears verse 11, chapter 1, and now here in chapter 2, verse 2. Heartless service or mediocre service to God is boring. Boring to us, but excuse me, the Lord says it's boring to him too. He agrees. He agrees. And the penalty for rejecting God's word is three times he puts the word curse. And the rebuke comes from where? The living God, not from each other not from the ministry, I will rebuke, says the Lord. Verse 3. So God's name is serious business. It's number one. And the disgrace of the priest, gross sin, is graphically brought out in the low regard. The Levites sunk in reputation, and too many are sinking in the ministry reputation today. Oh, there are beautiful, beautiful exceptions. And where they do arise, the people flock and say, I at least have found uh, what I was hoping to find here. So uh, a call to love God's glory and... Uh, uh, notice how beautiful that is. But then, secondly, a call to love God's word in verses 4 through 9. For now he says, And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. Uh, this calls for reverence, and a revered, uh, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from their sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you, but you, but you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant of with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So, I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways and have not shown uh, partiality in matters of the law. Wow. Uh, the ancient priesthood here, uh, they, according to the plan of God, taught the truth. They thought truth was extremely important. And therefore, that's what they taught. And they lived lives that were honoring to God. Teaching, one. Living, number two. And their lips gave upright judgments uh, because they read the word of God. And thirdly, they walked with God. Again, that's only used of two people in the Bible, Enoch walked with God. He lived 365 years. 
He had sons and daughters. That's what impresses me. He, this man was a family man, and yet he walked with God. That's quite a testimony. He did not go off like a hermit and live in a cave, and therefore he walked with God. He walked with God in the culture. And the other man that's used of is Noah. And it says uh, also in Genesis 6-9, Enoch is Genesis 5-22. But it says in Genesis 6-9, he walked with God. That's very unusual. They walked with God. And we have that in the New Testament. It talks about our walk with God. And which is about equivalent to our lifestyle. What's our lifestyle? So what was the result? Sinners came to be converted. Uh, verse uh, 6, the last part. So the proper function of the word of God in verse 5 calls for reverence. Reverence. And I still like the old fashion thing that when the word of God is read, we all stand uh, out of respect to the word of God. Do you remember they used to do that? Uh, it's good. Now we stand for our courses, but they're not half as good as what God had to say. Uh, ouch. Uh, and, and it calls for uh, a standing in awe of the name of God. Look at what that name does. In every place where it goes, the strong reputation, the strong honor, the strong power, the strong teaching of uh, God himself is there. However, verse 9, but you, you sons of Levi, and you sons of the ministry uh, today, you've turned, you've turned. You've turned away, and you're teaching. Uh, you know what? Your teaching is causing many to stumble. Lord says, hey, they're my sheep, and you're battering them, beating them up. Uh, it is amazing to me that the metaphor of shepherd is not only for leaders like David, but also God himself. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it goes on to speak of how the Lord personally guides. That was meant not only to tell us who God was, but as a model for uh, pastors in this day. Uh, however, the priests are despised. The priests are humiliated in front of the people. And they have uh, shown partiality in matters of the law. Oh, how we need expository preaching of the word of God. Verse after verse, chapter after chapter, book after book. Uh, Chriswell of First uh, Baptist Church in Dallas for 54 years had as his purpose to preach through the whole Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, which he did. He did. And on the day he was finished, the Lord took him home. He got to the last book, last chapter. People in Dallas don't remember the year they came to First Baptist. They remember the book. And someone said, oh, yeah, I've been here since Luke. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Someone else said, no, I'll go back to Hosea. Uh, so <laughs> and so they remembered the book they, uh, they came in. And... Uh, why is it that we have some orphan books of the Bible that are never, never taught? But there they, they sit, 
and they've got teaching that God thought we needed. And therefore, he gave us his word. But thirdly now, there's a call here to love God totally by loving his people. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord, loves, by marrying the daughter of foreign God. As the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. God is interested in how we treat each other. The church should be a place of a perpetual love feast in which we like each other. Why? Because we've all been redeemed. We all are inheriting directly from our Heavenly Father tremendous assets. And therefore, it ought to be our deep concern that when we are in need, we come to help each other. This church does a lot of that, apparently, behind the scenes. Hooray! But also for the old-fashioned thing in which a new person shows up in church. Now, I was in a family of six, and Dad worked hard. And we had 20 people working for us, piecework on the farm. He would pay them, pay off taxes, and pay off seed and gasoline. And literally, my folks told me later on, they'd only have $5 left. Now, in those days, $5 went a whole lot further, yeah. But on the other hand, Sunday... My mom always made a uh, what do you call Yankee pot roast, where you put everything in the pot and the carrots and the potatoes and uh, cabbage or whatever else it was there, you know, along with uh, meat, and uh, that would be put on the stove, and we got one of those fancy stoves that had a timer on it. Now, you had to remember before you left church to turn it on. There were times in our church where someone up front passed back a note to their husband without a name on it that said, did you turn on the oven? And 15 people got up and left. (laughs) So uh, that was part of it. But also, even though our table was full, mom always said, anyone who was new, you come with us. We can put another potato in the pot. That was the word. Put another potato in the pot. And so they were instantaneous guests, unplanned for, but it was a blessing to us and to our family. Many times visiting missionaries. Many times visiting relatives, Uh, but uh, that teaching in Hebrews, don't give up on offering hospitality one to another. Why? It's a great privilege of God's people. That's what he talks about here. Uh, And he says to avoid those people or some people in the congregation is to be disloyal to the spiritual unity of the body. That's in verse 10. And the question of chapter 2, verse 10, links up with chapter 1, verse 6. What about it? Shouldn't we honor our father 
Uh, and therefore, he talks both as a reference to Abraham as well as in our day. Jerome and Calvin thought that uh, even uh, Jacob uh, might be referred to here. But at any rate, the point is, the Lord created us, therefore ought we not to be delicate and genuine with each other. Here is a partial catalog of what happens when the priests uh, uh, divert from actually introducing faithfulness and genuine respect and kindness and hospitality to the people of God. Uh, and uh, that's what he wants us to understand here. That's taught in the New Testament too. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, don't y'all know that you all are, it uses plural, in Greek you can tell. No, in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you singular know. So that talks about being unequally yoked to an unbeliever. That's chapter 6, but not chapter 3. Chapter 3 is talking about the whole body. Don't you all know that you all are God's temple? If anyone destroys God's temple, if you wreak havoc among the people of God, so dissension or so distress or so I don't like that person, God says here, uh, I'll destroy you. You take on my people and destroy them. God says, I have it in for you. That's New Testament. That's not Old Testament. That's New Testament. Wow. That puts it in high stakes. This is not the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, but it is rather saying that there is the brotherhood of believers and also the kindness extended by believers to those who have come into their midst as part of the unbelieving community. But then we come to the most difficult part of this text, uh, the fourth love, a call to totally love uh, God's gift of marriage. And this is, I, I'll have to admit it, it's a little bit on the hard side, but I think we can find our way uh, through it very easily. For the text reads, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Now let me stop to uh, comment on that. Why is it that some partners who have now, you're going to find out in this context, have left their spouses, then uh, he says, but you go to offer something and the spouse who had been jilted now weeps and cries and God says there's a mist, there's a flood of tears on the altar. So, you know what? I can't see your offering. Now, if that's true of sacrifices in the Old Testament, that's true of our attempt too. Lord, here is a check I'm giving to you. Uh, but, of course, the missus is no longer here, thank goodness. I got rid of her. And the Lord says, yeah, but she's just spilled tears and uh, weeping there, and you want to know why I no longer pay attention to your offerings? It's because you jilted her. You promised me. You promised her. 
you promised the people in the church that you would love her or love him uh, until you left this life. So verse 14, you ask, why? There they come back again. Who? Us? We did that? Yes. It's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner and the wife of your marriage covenant. That's where I found God got in the covenant. You had a church wedding? Uh-huh. Then you had God involved in your covenant. He is a partner. It's three-way. It's not a two-way. And he said, uh, the Lord acted as witness. Witness. He saw that. Now, right away in the church today, you have to say too, look, this Lord who tells and speaks like this is the same Lord who says, verse 2 of chapter 1, I have loved you. God's love is still there. That's amazing. Even though he just abominates what we've done, he still loves us. You're still accepted. That's the amazing thing. To miss that is to miss the marvel of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Yeah. Were there wrongs? Yeah. Do you have a good side to your story? Yes. Could it really be told that way? Yes. But on the other hand, the Lord says, your partner. Look what he uses here. Your partner. Uh, the wife, your youth. A third expression. The wife, your marriage contract. Three expressions here in which he says, look, don't you remember it all? Now the difficult verse 15. Uh, Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Wow. What oneness is he talking about? can only be one. And that's in Genesis 3, where he brought Adam and Eve together, and they were no longer two, but one flesh. That's what he's talking about here. That's the oneness here. And he says, why one? Couldn't God have made a half dozen mates for every man? Half dozen wives. Could he made a half dozen husbands for every woman? Yes. He wants to know why. Why he limited the one. He said, I had a reason. I had a reason. And it's terribly important reason. And it's because uh, he said, even though he had the Holy Spirit had the power to make a half dozen or two or three or four for each couple? No, no. He says it was because he was seeking godly offspring. It is hard. And anyone has been through divorce knows that. Where does it show up first? The kids. With the kids. And therefore, the body of Christ got to come and surround those kids. And that new couple in the church and ask that God, in his mercy, would give them godly offspring. Godly offspring. Verse 16, he says, I'll say it plainly, I hate divorce. He said, I thought God was God of love. Yes. But he has emotions too. And an emotion of hate against that which is false or untrue, or against his nature, or his being. Yeah, yeah. So he says, I hate it, says Lord God, and I hate the man covering himself with violence as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. 
that goes back to Ruth 3.9. Back in Ruth, uh, Naomi said to Ruthie, when you go down to Boaz, and he's going to work there in the city gate, because that's the only place he's going to get enough wind. When he uh, takes the fork and throws the grain in the air, the wind will blow the chaff, the husk on the side of the grain, off to the side, and the heavy grain will fall down. That was the first combine uh, in its original fashion. And uh, so he can't do it all in one day. So he's got to stay by the pile. So he'll fall asleep. And when he does, you get at his feet. She's very clear. Uh, get perpendicular to his feet. And uh, in the middle of the night, Bill has stretches. Uh, I sometimes do that, uh, stretch out a little bit. But all of a sudden, he felt someone. He said, Who's there? <laughs> and this girl, I'm sure she says, it's not translated right here. I think she said, Ruthie. <laughs> uh, as pleasant as she could. And uh, uh, she wants to know, she says, I'm a kin, you know. And if you want to exercise your right, uh, give me your engagement ring, which in that day was the cloth, uh, a little blanket, which could spread over uh, the one that you were saying, now comes under the cover of my authority. Uh, the word uh, that is used here in some translations is to uh, uh, the word, uh, what is it here? Um, where they cover themselves with a garment. Uh, uh, at any rate, uh, this is a, a real a beautiful cover-up job. Uh, the word for this word here, to cover himself, is also the word for garment, beged. And so she says, bring me under your uh, control, under your uh, garment. And so uh, he then uh, put the garment over her. And that was uh, the a beautiful uh, partnership here. What a warning to the faithful. Do we run into difficulties with our marriages? Yeah, the world is too complex. Can God also give his mercy? Yes. Well, what if already in my former days, when I didn't hear this, I divorced? Does that mean I'm done for? No, it means God still loves you. You've come to the right place. He said, I have loved you, and furthermore, I change not. Chapter 3, verse 6. So, uh, because of that reason, because I change not, Therefore, you descendants of Jacob, you're not destroyed. Therefore, you people of Sheboygan Free Church, you're not destroyed either. Because God still loves you. I can't emphasize that too much. I've got to tell you, that's the thrust of this passage. Well, let's go to conclusions here. The four affections that we've given here, affection for God's glory, affection for God's word, affection for God's people, affection for God's mate, God's spouse. All four of them signal a call to the ministry and the priesthood and the laity for a whole new quality of life. Hey, come on. Come on. This ought to be a place where it's a love festival in the house of God. And uh, shaking hands, greeting one another, uh, hugging one another, that's not way out. That's right in line. Secondly, a total love for God will evidence itself in seeking first 
the rule and the reign of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Even though the free church in June took the awful step of removing premillennialism from its doctrinal statement, uh, despite all that some of us could do, the text says, keep praying the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. We want your rule, your reign, your kingdom, your millennium to come. On earth, your kingdom come, your will be done, terra firma, right here on earth. Thirdly, a total love for God will be seen in our building up of others in the faith. What a joy to meet in our life groups. And if you're not in one, you should be, because it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's an opportunity to build each other up, and it's part of the ministry of the church. Fourthly, a total love for God will be seen in how faithful we are to the covenant we made between God and our spouse in our youth or the one we're currently under. So, do you have one more uh, uh, thing up there? Yeah, uh, questions for discussion and reflection. How is our aim to please God seen on our love for God's Word? How much of that is part of our daily vitamins? A lot of us are, especially the older you get, you get a lot of advice on vitamins. But don't leave out the basic vitamin, the Word of God. That's germane to all. Secondly, how real today is God's threat to send a curse on our nation if we deserve his rebuke? I think it's very real very real. And short, I again say it, short of a genuine revival. In these United States, we're in for real trouble. God has been good to us. He's given us additional days of mercy, of prosperity like we've never seen before. And yet, we still keep running away from it. How long will that scenario go on? How long can God put up with that? I don't know. Thirdly, how about the allegory, which I didn't have time for, in Proverbs 5.15? Drink water from your own well. It's an allegory. It's one of the few in the Bible. But that verse is 15 to 21 talks about marital fidelity. Take your joy in the intimacy of marital love in the confines of marriage, not outside the bounds of marriage. Uh, Solomon is very, very clear. You need to read that whole section, verses 15 through uh, 20. Uh, one. Fourthly, why does God want marriages to stay together? Who is he primarily concerned about? The kids. The kids. He says so here. Wow. What a lesson. <laughs> you say, I came to church for a little bit of happiness. And uh, you give us a whole load to take home, and, and it's bad enough you couldn't pick any one of them, but you picked all four of them. Well, the Bible made me do it. <laughs> and yet, on the other hand, I hope, too, that we look to each other and with a cry to God, Lord, you know my past days. 
but you know where I want to go. Please help me to go that way. He will. That's what he's in the business of doing. And that's what the joy is of going to the house of God. Get refreshed, revitalized, and ready to go. So that's our theme for today. We go on next week, and uh, they pick it up with verse 17. The people are going to mock once again, and they're going to say that they have uh, really given a bad turn to the Lord. The Lord said, you've wearied me with your words. And they say, who, us? We've wearied you? Yes, when you say, everybody who does evil is good in the eyes of the Lord. (laughs) They do a retake on uh, Abraham Lincoln. They're saying, God must love evil people because he made so many. Yeah, I think that's what they're saying here. And he is pleased with them. Uh, God must be pleased with them because look, look at them. They're prospering. They went by my house last year and they just had, they're pulling a boat behind it. This year, they've got a truck that's pulling a camper and it has a boat on the back of the camper and it has a dirt bike on the front and one on the back and, and they don't even go to church. Uh, and so he says here uh, in verse 17, so uh, here's my question. Where is the God of justice anyhow? Evil, 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 that's all I see. And they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. And one guy went, and apparently they say, we don't know for sure, he hung himself. But boy, oh boy, Epstein had it coming. What about all those 13, 14, 15-year-old girls? Will there be no judgment? None? This text, we're going to look at it next week and try to answer that question. Well, thank you for being patient. At least none of you threw rotten tomatoes. (laughs) Although you probably felt like it. Uh, But uh, may God give us his understanding, a quality of love for each other, patience with each other, joy when others rejoice, rejoice with them too. And don't say, I never got that. Rejoice with them. Same Lord, he knows how to give out gifts. And for each other, for marriages, it's okay to be nice to one another and even uh, uh, share that. Some of us uh, have gone through that experience of having a mate and losing them. You understand it all of a sudden. You say, oh boy, I hope I didn't miss too many opportunities. So while you're living, do your loving. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Your word is too plain. We wish it were a little harder so we could object and say, perhaps it doesn't mean that. But it does, and there it stares at us. So for your glory, may honor, praise, and glory come to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And may your word prosper. May these be great days in which your word finds acceptance and the beauty of it is seen all over the place. And for our joy in each other, build the church, the body of Christ up. May the churches in Sheboygan and the surrounding towns be flooded with people who are saying, I'm tired of hitting it on my own. I want the fellowship of the believing body. And then, Lord, for our marriages. Please bless our marriages this day. And may any curses that have been placed upon them be removed. 
and may the evil one have no part in it. And may our children not be hurt, but rather somehow supplemental love come from the whole group so that your name might be praised. Lead on, O King Eternal. The day of March has come, for it's in your glorious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.